Have you ever been misjudged? My wife really misjudged me the other day. She said, I just hate for you to go shopping with me. It's like a, like a hunter going, hunt, uh, going hunting with a game warden. You know how we men are. The wives say we need a black pair of pants. And we go over there. Here they are. Right here, here they are. Well, I'm not ready to look for those right now. Here, here they are. But another instance where someone was misjudged was back in the Cold War, Cold War, War days. I'll get that out in a few minutes. And when the Soviet Union was a threat to all of Europe. So a soldier, a Soviet soldier, a Polish solidarity worker, a young woman, and a little old lady were traveling in the same compartments aboard a Polish train. They entered a long tunnel, and the darkness was heard a kiss, followed by a terrific slap, and then silence. As the train emerged into the daylight, the little old lady thought to herself, I'm proud of that girl. One of those two men got fresh, and she clobbered him. The young woman thought, this is funny. One of those men wanted to kiss me and kiss the old lady instead, and got slapped. The Soviet soldier said to himself, this just isn't my day. That pole kissed a pretty girl, and she slapped me by mistake. The solidarity worker thought, I'm awfully smart, even if I do say so myself. I kissed the back of my hand, slugged the uh, Soviet soldier, and got away with it. (laughs) You know, I'm disappointed in Mr. Ames. And I hate to say it, I've been here over, over a year and a half, and he's always been correct on his percentages. So he told me yesterday afternoon that uh, probably it'd be 30 to 70 percent that I'd be speaking today. So he called me this, uh, this morning around 10 and said it'd be 100 percent. Now that's at 10 o'clock, and that's a lot of pressure. And so I told him, I think I mentioned to him, that I have some old notes that I thought I would preach from. And they're good notes that uh, was taken by the Apostle Paul. You know, his, uh, his notes is always good to preach from, and, and so I, I thought I would do that today. I think most of us understand that knowledge is power. The more knowledge you have, the more powerful you are. You know, a lot of these PhDs have a lot of knowledge, a lot of powers, and everybody looks to them for advice and so on. And all that power, all that power they have will not save them. Now, in God's church, we gain power through knowledge. And the more knowledge we gain, the more humble we become. See, that we're humble. We don't flaunt that knowledge at all. We understand that God has given us the knowledge. We serve a God who is all knowledge, all power. He has that Spirit that He gives to us, that we have access to His great mind of power and knowledge and understanding that no one else has except those whom God has called and uh, for His, uh, you know, for His salvation. Now I believe when God thought out the plan, that His plan, that He thought about it before He ever created anything. He had to have a plan, He had to have a purpose that He would create and bring into existence that plan. 
And so he just didn't say hocus pocus, dominocus, and everything, you know, happened. It was a plan he had. And I know that uh, Mr. Armstrong has taught, Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames have always taught, when God created Adam, he created him with limited knowledge. The knowledge he had was in the Garden of Eden. He had the knowledge of animals because he could name those animals, you see. He had the knowledge of trees because he understood the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that knowledge. And he understood the tree of life, or at least he thought he did or could have, if they had the knowledge of it. And, of course, he was told, he was given knowledge, you partake of that tree in its death. So what did they do? They went to the knowledge of the tree of, of the good and evil for their wisdom, for their knowledge, and we see what happened. What happened to that, to that couple and understand that. Now, for Adam and Eve to require knowledge of another world, that, of God, they would have to have God's Holy Spirit. And they, did, they didn't have access to it then after they took the knowledge of, of the tree of good and evil. So it's God's Spirit that we received to gain the knowledge of another world, of another family, as we heard in a sermonette. And we have to have that knowledge to be saved. And we grow in that knowledge. The more we grow in the knowledge of God, the less we trust ourselves. If we don't grow in the knowledge of God, we trust ourselves more. And we make several mistakes. And we make, you know, stupid mistakes at times because we trust our own judgment because we don't really know who the real God is of the Bible. Because God has to reveal that to us. And he has to make known to us who he is. And no one in the world has that knowledge except God's people that God has called. And so the sermon this afternoon is going to be on stay on the ship. See, stay, stay with the ship. Now I'm not talking about the Titanic. You know, the Titanic, uh, you might have seen the movie at that time. It's a very moving uh, story about the Titanic, you know, when they hit that iceberg. And they were able to get several off into lifeboats. But the captain of the ship had to make certain decisions. And he was the captain of that ship. And those people who did not get on the lifeboat went down with the ship. And if I believe correctly, they were singing the song as it was going down, Nearer, my God, to you. They knew they were going to meet their maker. At least that's what we were all taught before we had the knowledge, uh, you know, what God's plan was for mankind. That they were going to meet their maker. Husbands and wives, older folks and all, held hands together and singing together. Because they realized that ship was going down. And the captain did not abandon ship. He stayed with the ship all the way. So that's what I want to talk about. Are we on the ship? And who is our captain and our anchor? So Jesus told Nicodemus, whereas Nicodemus was an excellent teacher apparently in the Scripture, he told him that you must be born again. Let's just read that story here in John chapter 3 and John 3. Now, Christ was not talking to Adami at all. He had knowledge. But Jesus was introducing some new knowledge that he never heard before, apparently, or never understood that knowledge when he was teaching him. 
there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know, see, we know, we, we Jews know that you are a teacher come from God. You're bringing in something different. You're bringing in a new power that we've never seen before. This power that you're bringing from a different world where God is. And we know that you are that teacher uh, that has come from God. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now he had no idea what they was talking about. I didn't know before I was taught it. Did you know when you were a Baptist or Methodist or Catholic what it meant to be born again? Nobody knew when they were born again. Well, the Baptists say you're born again now, but I never could feel that. You know, I said, how do I know I'm born again? He said, well, you know it. I said, well, how do I know? We said, you will know it. See, I had no knowledge and they had no knowledge of what it meant to be born again. And it was all by feeling, see, just something you would feel. And I never did get that feeling, see, at all. So Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So here was a man of knowledge, but his knowledge was bound to to the earth, not necessarily above. He had no understanding of the above, what Jesus was talking about. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you are born, and one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You see, brethren, if a man or woman is to ever enter into the world that we're talking about. He's got to stay on a ship that takes us right into the kingdom of God. We must have that knowledge. What do we do? How do we do it? To be born again. To be in the family of God. We have to have knowledge. When I was first introduced to the Sabbath, I had no knowledge of how to keep the Sabbath at all. I was almost afraid to get out of bed or do anything or take a bath. But after a month with no bathing, you, you finally learned it might be all right to take a bath. But unless you had somebody to give you the knowledge of it, you didn't know what to do. You trust your own self as to how to keep the Sabbath. What would be holy, unholy, without that knowledge. That I knew nothing about the plan of God. Sounded odd to me. A plan of God. A work of God. I never heard that before. That was new knowledge to me, and I'm sure to most of you as well, unless you were, as some say, born into the church. I guess some of our people have already been born again. They said they were born into the church. (laughs) Been in the church all of my life. And so that's great, I guess. But Jesus made this statement, you must be born again, see, in order to be in in the, the kingdom of God. Then it goes on to show the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it's coming from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, just like yesterday or today, that wind just kept blowing, but where did it come from? 
And where did it go? We don't see it. We see the fruit of it as it blows the trees, it blows your wigs off, and you know, and blows your hair out of shape. And so we feel the the fruit of the of that um, wind. So Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Now here was the teacher that come from God, was teaching one from Israel, who did not have no understanding of the spiritual at all, the spiritual things. His was all physical. His religion had to do with physical things, not spiritual, you see. And most of us have come out of religions, it's all physical, it's all emotions, not spiritual. We don't understand the spiritual. And probably if we did at that time, we would reject it because it's so foreign to our minds and hearts. See? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witnesses. So if I told you earthly things and you do not believe now, how will you believe if I'll tell you heavenly things? And he says, no one is ascended to heaven. See, that knowledge is great, isn't it? See, see how that knowledge can just set one's mind free? That my mother is not in heaven. My dad is not in heaven. Nobody's in heaven. Nobody's there. It just frees you with that knowledge. Knowledge that we don't forget. You know, my brothers never liked the church at all, but it's one thing they were always interested in as a second resurrection. They liked that. They wanted me to explain that to them, the second resurrection. That way they knew they wouldn't have to go to hell and burn forever. They just keep living the way they were. But see, that knowledge we just take for granted, that we don't have to go to hell and burn forever. That we're not trying to get get good enough to stay out of hell, see, at all. See, all that false knowledge and false concepts and things of this earth uh, that offers. And yet we get a few things from above, the spiritual things that set us free from this, you know, from the world. So God has given us through His Spirit the knowledge of what it takes to be born again. And it's all spiritual knowledge, brethren. The spiritual knowledge, the spiritual understanding, the spiritual wisdom, all comes from God of how to be born again and what what our purpose is and His purpose for us, His purpose for creation. Now, we're not in the kingdom of God yet. We're still flesh and blood. We're not there yet. But we're in training for a job that's not yet, that will be ours when the kingdom of God comes. The government of God is not here on the earth yet, but we're training to be a part of that government. We're practicing that way in the church, in the body of Christ, practicing the government of God. That we have teachers that can teach us and give us the knowledge that we all need. And we better be thankful of those teachers, like Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, Dr. Winnell, who've been around forever. They've experienced many, many things. And God has opened their hearts and their minds to understand spiritual things that we don't yet can grasp. We're still learning the spiritual things. 
as people and as people receive the magazines, the articles, and the telecast, they're learning, but they don't quite understand. A lot of people want to come to Jesus, but they don't want to obey. So you have to get there. Everybody wants the truth until they receive it. And when they receive it, they tend to fight it. So we're not in the kingdom of God yet. And we as Christians must have more than just head knowledge. See, more than head knowledge. We are being educated in a different way of life that's from above. A way of life from above that we're being educated in. How to live it on this earth and we do the best we can. You know, with the knowledge we have of how to do it, the knowledge we're trying to get rid of, the knowledge of error we in our mind. But brethren, I believe that we make too many excuses why we can't do it. Well, you just don't understand, Mr. League. If you were in my shoes, you, you'd think differently. See, You don't have any concept what I'm going through with my husband, my wife, my health, my job. You wouldn't make those statements if you were in my shoes, you see. And we make such statements as that. We make, you know, excuses as why we can't come to Sabbath services. So we miss out on that knowledge. I believe if God commands me to do something, he's got to give me the health to do it, to help me, to have the knowledge of what to do. And so it's up to me then a lot of times to see what, if I'll do what God asks me to do and not say, well, you just don't understand, Dr. Meredith. I believe you're asking too much, Dr. Meredith. You know, all of my life I've been asked to do more than I could do and chewed out because I didn't do it. In sports, I was asked to do more than I could do. At work, I could ask to do more. And I can still hear my mother today when I was picking cotton beside her. She had two rows and I had one. And I was five years old. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. You know, the old fingers just bleeding, you know, just bleeding like that. And, and yet your mother said, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So I learned to hurry up and wait. <laughs> See, but back then you were pushed. To accomplish something. You weren't lazy. If you were lazy, they would type you. The whole community said, that guy's lazy. He's trash. So everybody wanted to get an education. You know, my mother and father wanted me to get an education. They didn't have the opportunity at all to go to school. Well, they went to school, but, you know, they were limited in their education because they had to work. They didn't have any handouts. They had the knowledge of work, the physical, the knowledge of how to make ends meet. And my mother used to tell my daddy, if you bring it home, I'll cook it. And I don't know how in the world she ever thrown things together for seven people. Well, you didn't have much. It was always the best meals that you could eat. And if you weren't there, there was no leftovers. And even the old dog was skinny. Because there were no leftovers, you know, for the for the dog. Now a dog has his own veterinary, you know, has his own special foods and has his own variety. And just think about how far a dog has come. 
So we have to understand that we had nothing to do with our calling, nothing to do with it at all. I don't think any of us was looking for God when we were called by God. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. Paul is writing here to Timothy and reminding him of something. Now, Timothy could have said, well, I know that, Paul, you know, but he's reminding him of something as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, 2, verse See what verse eight. Second Timothy one verse eight. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings uh, for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling. You see, the calling then is holy. It comes from God who is holy. It doesn't come from Dr. Meredith or Mr. Ames on the telecast to others. It doesn't come through the mind. It's a holy calling that God calls us and opens our minds to, and draws us to him through the knowledge of the scriptures as we seek the scriptures. It's not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You see, it's according to God you're sitting here this afternoon. It's not according to you. His grace, His knowledge that brought you here. There's a power that brought you here. It's a powerful power, see, as we understand the Sabbath, how powerful it is, and how that we understand that God's Spirit and God's power is in the Sabbath day. As we keep it holy, we become more powerful. As we're being taught on the Sabbath day of that knowledge, we become more like God. We trust ourselves. We don't trust ourselves as much, you know. And I think we understand that as well. And he said the same thing to Timothy, uh, to Titus, I mean. We had nothing to do with it. It's up to God. It's him now. Now we have something to do with it in a way that we have to search and seek God. So we have to grow in the knowledge of God himself and that knowledge that only God can give it to us. The knowledge of God himself, see. And first, uh, we read this in First John chapter 2. Now by this we know, you see, that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now we know his commandments are holy. We know his commandments have powerful knowledge there. It tells us what to do and not to do. It tells us what we need to do. It's powerful. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. And brethren, that's something we all should know. That we know that we are in Christ. We know He's our Savior. We know He's our healer. He, we know He cannot lie. See, we know that. And we need to believe that as this ship begins to sail in troublesome times. We're going to have to know it, as Dr. Meredith has said in his sermons. 
Do you know that your Savior lives? Do you know Him? Well, this is the way we know Him, through this knowledge of Him. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk, just as He walked. Now, how could you do it without knowledge? See, that's powerful, knowledge is. Not our own knowledge, but the knowledge in Him that He gives to us, and we trust ourselves little less, you see. Brethren, look how many people in God's church at one time just began to trust self. They quit trusting in God, just self, that they knew what was right for self, that nobody's going to tell me what to do at all. In Second Peter, Peter brings out, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and in Jesus our Lord. Do you want peace? Grace? He tells us how to do it. In the knowledge. And knowledge is powerful. See? It's powerful. As we grow in that knowledge, there's more grace, there's more peace. And I guarantee you, brethren, I have more peace today than I did 30 years ago. I understand more about grace than I did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or even five years ago of that knowledge. It gives you peace. And people are searching for peace. They want peace. You see, everybody wants peace, but God tells us how to do it. To you and the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, as his divine power has given to us all things and pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. And those are the keys, if we can grasp that, the importance of knowledge of setting you free. Now, we call it truth, which is true. But that power that sets us free. Now, John tells us in 1 John that not only do we have the light, but we have to walk in it. What good is a flashlight if you just shine it? You know, if you're not going into place, why turn it on? Well, you walk in the light. And you know where you're going. We know we're going where? To the kingdom of God. Now, how do we get there? Who's the captain of the ship? See, Who is the captain? What is the anchor of our soul? See, As long as we walk in light and not just have the light, but we have to walk in light. God's church is a crew on a sailing ship. And brethren, I believe, as we've heard so many times, you hear the telecast of Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, and those who have that knowledge and understanding, that we're about to sail in some troublesome times. And are we prepared for those times? You know, when something happens to us, it sets us back. We're not prepared for it. We just don't think it can happen to us at all. We're not prepared for what might be coming on us. You know, I don't know yet what my final test may be what I may have to go through. I have no idea. I don't have the knowledge of that yet. But I know I have the knowledge I must be ready for that. 
whatever it is, that I have to be ready. And if I'm not ready, can I blame anybody for that? Of all the magazines I've received, all the sermons I've heard, see, all of these things, can I blame anybody? And just say, Christ, I didn't have the time. See? But he's given us the knowledge even how to go to the place of safety. If we accept it. What he tells us. What we have to do. To be protected. That we have to go through these troublesome times in certain areas. That others may have to go through. But these times could be doubts, fears, suspicions. But we all must always stay with the ship, see. Now, some have said this couldn't be the true church of God. I've heard that. I've been, you know, I've been in the church for 48 and a half years. Jesus has been my captain. I've been on the ship, his ship, for 48 years. And I've heard all kinds of things. I've seen many of my friends jump off the ship, see. Many of them just jump off, and I'm sure you probably have too. Some have said this couldn't be the true church of God because there's too much confusion, too much strife, too much contention, too much personnel problems, too many leaders replaced, misuse of funds, that this couldn't be God's true church. So they jumped off. They just jumped off of it. They didn't persevere. It became too difficult for them. They gave up. They lost sight who's the captain of the ship. Who's the last one, as my wife was talking this morning, who's the last one that lets the ship down? Who has the power over the ship? You, brother, the ship we're in, our captain has power over all waters, troublesome times. We don't have to worry about sinking, you see, as long as we stay on the ship then he's going to steer us right into the kingdom of God through that knowledge and power and understanding that he's given to us. And I think, brethren, people have just used their own knowledge of how the government should be, how religion should be, of their own knowledge, not God's knowledge, but how it should be. If I were in charge, this is the way it would be. If I had my chance, this is the way it would be, but is that the knowledge of God? Didn't Paul say it was through much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God? Wasn't the New Testament church just full of problems? Just about every one of them is full of problems. And some jump ship, you see. Some didn't think Paul should be the apostle. So what did they do? Does human nature really change or knowledge of this world really change at all? Knowledge of the world puffs us up. It's hard to admit that I'm wrong. It's hard to admit that I need mercy. It's hard to admit that I'm a sinner. It's hard to admit to go up to somebody and say, look, I mistreated you. Will you forgive me? That's, it takes a converted mind to do that. See? And we understand those things because God has given us the understanding, the knowledge of what we need to do is to be a Christian. 
And I believe when I go to Christ, He fulfills the Scripture 70 times 7. You're forgiven. You forgive people 70 times 7, don't you? Christ is always there ready to forgive. If we acknowledge that we jump track, got involved with wrong knowledge and powers or influences, and we come back to Him. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews 2, In verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. See, So Christ is our captain who's going to bring us into the kingdom of God. First, we have to suffer. We're guaranteed to suffer. We have the knowledge we're going to suffer, don't we? And brethren, when you use the counsel for somebody for baptism, you usually ask them, are you willing to count the cost? And you give them the knowledge of what is required for baptism. That is more than just being put under the water. But you're actually being baptized into the very death of Christ. And dead people don't sin. As far as I know, our practice sin, you see. So we're buried with him. We count the cost. We have the knowledge. It's going to be tough down the road. I remember this young lady there in one of the church areas I pastored. And she was going with a young man that the parents did not want her to date. He was just a no-count guy. And he attended church occasionally, but he was no good. And so uh, she had made up her mind to leave him, not, not to have anything to do with him. So that Sabbath, she sat down on the first row. And I was preaching, and I just noticed her. And I made a comment. I don't even know why I made it. I said, you know, you could get killed tonight. You never know when you walk out the door what's going to happen to you. And I noticed her looking at me, and I was looking at her. And so she decided to go out with him one more time. And she tried to get her girlfriend to go, and she wouldn't go. So, oh, no, no, he's, he's no good. I'm not going. She had on a brand-new dress she'd bought for the feast. And so that night, when I got home, I got a call from her parents that my daughter was just killed tonight in a car accident. See, Now, whether or not that was inspired to be said, I don't know. See, and I almost fainted, you know. It shocked me so much. Maybe that was a warning to her. But I don't know. See, But she would have the knowledge she rejected of her parents' And from the minister, but you see, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm different than everybody else. So, brethren, we don't know exactly what lies ahead, except we know that Christ is the, is in charge. He'll take us through these troublesome times that we're 
that is going to come upon us. And I think most of us know, for years we've been taught, what's going to come in the end time. And we see all these things happening, it's read to us in the now, all these things happening all at once. And yet it doesn't seem to shake us like it used to. You know, in the 60s, man, you're, you're just shaking all the time because things were happening. You thought it was going to be next year, next year. But I think we've grown, just grown sleep in one way, and not, nothing can wake us up until some tragedy happens. Then we begin to realize maybe I'm not as converted as I should be. Maybe I haven't depended on God like I should have. Maybe I didn't persevere like I should have. So a tragedy tends to wake us up. And God knows that from time to time. And He allows things to happen to us that we don't understand. And it's hard to explain. Except we're promised sufferings. For righteousness sake. For the knowledge that God gives to us. Now in Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. Verse 17. God determining to show more abundantly, Hebrews 6, verse 17, to the heirs of promise, of the heirs of the kingdom of God, see the promise, heirs of the resurrection. Heirs of the promise, not inheritors yet. Immutability of his counsel confirmed by it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. See, that, that's hard to, for us to understand that, isn't it? It's hard to believe that God cannot lie. That I must rely on my own knowledge. I must take care of myself instead of believing that God cannot lie. Whatever he promised, he said he would do. That we might have strong consolation. We have fled from refuse to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And what is that hope? It's the kingdom of God. It's the resurrection. You know, we were talking last night that the church, you began to see the church becoming more mature. And at the feast in Branson, I've never heard so many, you know, compliments on, on the ministry. Headquarters. Talking about Dr. Meredith, Mr. Ames, and the local ministers, that this respect is coming back in the ministry that was lost at one time. So we were talking, I said, you know, in healing, what people have to do is not see the human. They have to see Christ, who's doing it for him. If they see the human... The humanity, he may have faults, you know, so did Paul, you know, look what he did. But if we see Christ doing that, using somebody, it gives you more confidence that God can't lie. But if we see the human, then the faults, you know, the things begin to creep in our minds. I don't want this man to anoint me, you know, I don't want this man, or we begin to choose and whom we think is more closer to God. 
Well, it's Christ doing the healing. Christ can use a jackass if he wanted to. You see, it's him. It's not the man. It's Christ. He's the healer. He's the one paid the penalty, not the man. See? And I think we're coming to that point that where God will give us the gifts of healing for our brethren who are sick, who are going through severe trials and tests. But they have to persevere. God cannot lie. That's what he said. We must hold God to his truth. He cannot lie. Then if God heals me, what am I going to do with my life then? See, what will, what will happen? Will I change? Will I serve more? Will I give more? Or I just want to feel better? There has to be a purpose as well. Someone asked me one time, said, uh, he said, Mr. League, I need more love. I said, well, God will give it to you. But what are you going to do with it? See? I mean, what good if you ask God something and you don't know what you're going to do with it? That'd be like your kid coming up and say, let me, Dad, would you let me use the car tonight? Say, well, why? You know why? If you convince Dad, oh, yeah, here, be careful. I mean, what are we going to do when we're healed? Just feel better, go on and do the same thing, or do we change? As Christ told the people, go and sin no more. See, there's a purpose for all of this. And our hope is a resurrection. That Christ is both the Lord of the dead and the living. He knows he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Still lives in his mind. You know, my mind, my mother still lives. My daddy and my friends still live in my mind, even though they're dead. I keep them alive in my mind, the good things. I don't dwell on the bad things, you know, the good things. So this hope we have as an anchor of our souls, it just keeps us steady, that we don't jump ship, that we are steady. Both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. That when we go before God through our Savior, right into the Holy of Holies, right there and talking to Him, who cannot lie, who gives us the knowledge to do it. He wants us to do it. That's our hope. And if anybody takes away your hope, you have nothing to live for. See? I'm living for the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping that I give my life for it if need be. I don't think I'd have to. I don't know. But there comes a time you don't know what you will do. But if someone can take that hope away from you, just like many of our brethren jump ship, they lost hope. And what was being taught went overboard. And so this is why that we have to understand. Remember when Christ was uh, 
in the boat, the disciples in the boat, and the storm came up, and it began to rock and roll the boat, you know, and he was asleep. See, here the Savior, the captain was asleep. Now, what did he do? Well, the apostles were all worried to death. But here Christ, was, that must have put him to sleep. He had peace. So he just woke up and, you know, said, uh, you know, we're going to die. And he just, what did he do? He just, water, be still. Look how much power that captain has. The boat never did sink at all. He controlled the sea. You know, he walked on water, but he was not part of the water. See, we're in the world, but we're not part of the world as long as we stay on the ship. Like Noah was on the water, but he wasn't part of the water. And don't you know it was tough for him back and forth, the turbulent sea? See? Now, we picture probably just kind of a calm thing, you know, just like sailing on ice, ice skating. But it had to be, they it, it had to wonder about that. Nobody's alive. Did he say, what are we going to do? What am I going to do with all these crazy animals I got on board? It's kept me awake for the last hundred days. <laughs> so he went out and he planted a vineyard and got drunk. It didn't matter <laughs> at that time. But you see how he could have panicked if he hadn't known his Savior was not alive or the captain of that ark was not there. It steadied him in all of them. So those things are, are very important. You remember the Apostle Paul's journey up to, up to uh, Rome. That he was on his boat. 270 people on that boat. And they wouldn't listen to him. He said, all right, we're going to have some problems here. Problems. But they wouldn't listen to him. And they had problems. Then all of a sudden, everybody started listening to the Apostle Paul when he told them, as long as you stay on this boat, God has assured me that no life would be lost. As long as you stay. He told the centurion that. As long as you stay, no life will be lost. But if you jump overboard, okay, it's curtains for you. Now, he, they had been 14 days without food. And what did Paul do? He said, you've got to eat. So Paul just took over that whole ship. He was the captain of the ship. He said, we need to eat something. And what did he do? He blessed it in front of all of them. He thanked the God in heaven, the captain of that ship, his soul. Thanked him for that. And they ate. Then, you know, they went aground. And the, sin, and the people there wanted to kill all the prisoners except the centurion said, no, we're not going to do it. Why? Because Paul had a mission. He had to go to Rome. So he had to go go up there with Caesar. He was appealing to Caesar of all things, like appealing to Hitler. But he had a message, a mission. The angel assured him of that mission. The journey is going to be tough, but you will complete your mission. And what did he say in the end of his mission? I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And everybody forsook him. 
in his hour of need except one or two. Now, he could have become depressed, despondent. What's the use? See, what's the use in all of this? But he knew the captain of his soul, that he would take him right into the kingdom of God. So we have to know that and have that faith in Christ, who is the captain, that we had nothing to do with the calling. He's responsible. And he gives me the knowledge. Now, it's up to me to put it into practice, to make me a powerful Christian. See, over evil, over the power of this world, it's knowledge. The more knowledge I gain, the more power I have. And God gives his spirit to those, or his knowledge, or his understanding to those who obey him. And there's no limit, you know, to what God has for us and what he wants us to accomplish in life. And I bet if Mr. Ames would tell you, he said, I know he probably doesn't think he accomplishes much, or Dr. Meredith. When you have to have all these articles on time, you have to have the, you know, the telecast and all these other things, you battle sickness, Fatigue. I bet 10, 15 years ago, I never thought I could do it. I missed Meredith. How many more people could do it? Let's see. And others. That God uses at headquarters. Just a few are doing such a great work. And God has given them more knowledge of how to do it, how to accomplish even greater works as he's helping all of us to see. So you see, brethren, people have thought that this couldn't be God's work down through the ages. Just too much strife, too much turmoil, not enough peace, always blaming somebody else, which they didn't have the knowledge, apparently, to stay on the ship, and they jumped off. So we're not of this world. The work of God is not of this world. We don't operate like the world operates. We don't spend money like the world. We don't spend money like that. We're not of the world at all. So we're not even part of the world. When we do a job, it's for God. We're working for God, which is not of this world, that we don't operate like the world. So it's up to each one of us to understand that knowledge, that we're not like the world. We're different. We work together. As we heard, we're a team. We help each other. It doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as the job gets done because we have a mission. And we're about to sail into some troubled waters down the road. And brethren, we must be prepared as we've been admonished over and over. It's been on my mind you know, been on my mind for a while. You know, people have asked me, asked me, said, uh, you think it's coming soon? I said, well, you, nobody knows exactly when it's coming, but we have to be prepared for it. See. Now, Jesus told Pilate that his kingdom was not of this world. See. 
So if it's not of this world, then we're not of the world, of its way, its source. That God is helping us to balance our lives out, help us to get food, clothing, shelter, and the right kind of entertainment, friendship, being friendly to our neighbors, helping those neighbors indeed. People said, well, would God heal? I anointed somebody at Branson. He said, would, I'm not a member of the church. Would God heal me? I said, well, I don't believe Christ ever healed a Christian. Do you? I don't remember him ever healing a Christian. There's always unconverted people that came to him. See? He didn't ask him, what did you do, per se? He didn't ask the woman with the issue of blood. He said, what, what, how'd you get that? You know, did you commit adultery? How did you get that? That was not his mission. His mission was to heal. He had compassion as well. Now, John chapter 15, John 15, verse 16 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, Mr. Meredith have asked us, and I know know probably we're all praying for that, ask God to give us 15% increase for this year, 15%. And if we take this literally, this knowledge here, why shouldn't he? See? If that's what we need. Whatever you ask in my name, he said, my father will do it. Is, is he a respect of persons? Are we carrying on the same type work? Being trained in the work? These things I command you that you love one another. Could it be that might be the problem? That we haven't learned to love one another. As the Bible says, that we love, look at faults, attitudes, dress. Love covers a multitude of sins. See, could that be the problem? Or maybe why God hasn't given us what we've asked? It's something. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So Jesus is showing them, I have been hated by the world. If they hate me, if you follow me, the knowledge I give you, they're going to hate you. So you cannot please the world. You be kind to it. We don't compromise, you know, the world to the world. If you were of the world, the world would love us. I mean, it would love. It loves its own. Yeah, because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we have to get prepared for that, don't we? When that time comes, or whenever it is, it can be now, you know, for some of us, that we're hated. But brethren, when church members hate, see, when they hate, when they say things they don't like and begin to hate. When I heard how Mr. Armstrong was hated by church members and others, 
Is that of God or is that of the world? Is that knowledge of God? What about husband and wives? If we love each other, we serve each other. And that's what it asks of us, that we must love one another. And love is now going concern. It's a service to help others and do all that we can, you know, in these situations. Now, Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3. Verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. See, okay, maybe it's Paul and Timothy and Silas and all of them. Okay, we are your example. Walk as we walk. Live as we live. See, you are our example. Now, people used to kid us about dressing, you know, that Mr. Armstrong do this, we do that. But uh, he taught us how to dress like he did. See, he taught us. If not, we'd been old farmers coming in with, you know, just old overalls and and, uh, like that. When I first went to Spokesman Club, you know, I had on a nice tie, I thought, and a nice jacket, and they... I got corrected for that. They said it's vanity. They said you look better in an old cotton shirt or whatever. But I saw Mr. Armstrong, and I wanted to be like that. I didn't want to be like a farmer. You see, I wanted to improve. If he used China, I want to use China if I can afford it. It helps you, the quality. We have to follow somebody. But in the world, you got uh, Britney Spears, Logan, look like freaks. What's that other girl's name? All painted up, you know, just. Uh, yeah, that's it. There go. Now, they're the models for some of our young people. You know, this. Look like rooster hair. <laughs> so you see that who are they following? Is it those who are the pattern or the world out there? See, are we just modest people, modest Christians? Set a good example for everybody that we don't draw attention to ourselves. Except the other day I was backing out of my house and he said, uh, we don't have many like you left. guy moved his car. I said, what are you talking about? A gentleman. See? And a scholar. I said, leave the scholar off. <laughs> but you see, he just noticed something, that I was dressed up to come to work. See, I was dressed up. He noticed that. And he said, we don't have many left. Well, we have a few in, you know, the God's church. That takes pride and, you know, takes a, to set a good example. 
and uh, realize that we want to do the best we can. Now, I was stingy when I first, you know, when I was first called. I was, I was stingy. My wife was thrifty. So she always wanted to improve, but I was too stingy. See? Then finally I broke through the barrier. And you know when you do, then God starts giving you things. It's amazing what he gives to you to improve. See? Now, they thought Mr. Armstrong should live in some old shack out there. He'd be better off in a shack or tent because that's where I live. And that's where he should live. So that brought a lot of hatred. What difference does it make? Someone said, uh, I'm not sending my money in anymore out there because they, they just spin, 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 spin. I said, well, I don't care if I smoke it. You know, I still give. That's what I'm learning to do is give. Give to God. And that's what we're talking about. And we're trying to inspire the spokesman club to understand that. You come to give. You give yourself. You give your best. That we're never too old to learn. I've been in spokesman club since 1963. And that's a lot of clubs, would you say? The only one that has more time than me is probably Mr. Ames, because he used to teach it every day at college. But there again, you see, we try to get the best out of people, their best, to be like Christ, who is the best see, in everything we do. So we, we have a pattern, a model, that I knew nothing about until God called me in the Radio Church of God. And I looked at the minister's example. I looked at his example and what he was like. He was the pattern for all of us. Nobody else was because we didn't know any better. Somebody has to be the pattern or the model, a paragon for others to see as well. Now, Jesus tells us that... Uh, they would put us out of the church. Time will come. The Apostle Paul, before he became the Apostle Paul, he had people killed. And that was prophesied that that would happen. And we know that Acts 20 tells us that the disciples would rise up and draw members away. Some of the ministers among you, well, that was prophesied to happen. It happened. It may still happen in the near future unless we have the knowledge of God. And understand who's the captain of the ship. See? And understand that. So the New Testament church was a problem-filled church. And Paul said it was through much tribulation, brethren. Much disappointment, difficulties. But we must persevere. No, what we're, no matter what we're asked to do, we can do it through God and His great power. In Second Timothy chapter 3... 2 Timothy 3, are we in these days, have we been in these days, do these days have any effect on us at all? But to know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves. And you hear all these preachers talking about how you should love yourself. Osteen, talking about how you love yourself. 
said, I just love when I give a good sermon. I just say, Seth, you gave a good sermon today. You know, just really love self. And they teach that to love self, to feel good about yourself. Think and grow rich. You think and I'm growing rich. Selling the book. Lovers of money. Boasters. Now look at the rights we're having. The rich versus the non-rich. Look at the lust, the greed, the violence. Over money. Or at least they pretend that's what it is. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And look at all the kids today. I mean, you got people eight, nine years old out there at midnight. Run up through stores. and Parents don't know where the kids are and they don't care. Women killing their kids. Men, I just read the other day where a man took a baseball bat and killed his uh, step. Took a bat and smashed his brains out. And that's more and more is happening that way, where people are hardened, see, and they don't care about life. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers with all, without self-control, just fly off the handle. You know, just, you know, just, they could shoot you. You're almost afraid to blow your horn at somebody. Afraid they'll come back. The age we're living in. Without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And, And from such people turn away. You know, they have Christmas as a form or... Halloween or whatever it is, they have that form they go through of godliness, what they think is godly, but it's not. So, brethren, we have to let God handle your problems and handle the church's problems. They're too big for us, but not too big for God, you see. He has to handle the problem, and we have to understand that. It's too big big for anyone else to handle other than God. Now, if I ask the question, is anything then too big for God? Is your God that big that he can handle your problem or the church's problem? See, can he do it? Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Verse 8, Romans 14, verse 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord, you see. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So God is, is it too big for God to resurrect us out of our graves? Is it too big for, you know, God to heal us if He chooses not to keep us alive forever in His flesh? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing, brethren. The God we serve. He cannot lie. Man will let you down. God will not let you down. So whether we live or die, we belong to Christ. And we need to always keep that in mind as we understand 
Was Tohu and Bohu too big for God? See? When he had to reshape everything. Look how much power he has. See? When the world was inundated with water, where did all that water go? Where did it go? See? Was that too big for God to handle? When he knew it was going to happen, his plan to happen, he knew it was happen, would happen. The Red Sea, was that too big for God? See, when he just opened it up. If you'd have been there and seen that, what would you have done? And walked through the Red Sea on dry land. See, was that too big and too hard for God? Did, did he lose any strength over there? Well, when it floated that little axe handle, remember the axe? That's a little miracle. Was that too big for God? Where the man had barred that, he realized he had to return it in good condition. Was that too big? Was that too hard for Elijah? See. Now, that's just a little thing, isn't it? But see, it's important that he could return that axe. The way he... Was it too big for God when Christ is on the stake beaten half to death, skinned almost alive because of my sins and my sicknesses. Is that too big for God? Is that too big for Christ to handle? So we have to keep our eyes on our captain and anchor and let's stay on the let's stay on the ship. Remember the inspired words of Isaiah in Isaiah 26, and we will end in Isaiah 26. Verse 1. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Now, who are those people? See what an honor that God's going to bestow upon his nation, a spiritual nation. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. There's the key, isn't it? The more we think about God, the more peace we have. The more our minds drift in the world, the more misery we have or fighting, you know, lust or whatever. Our mind has to stay on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength, for he brings down those who dwell on high, as he mentions here. So let's keep our eyes on our captain and stay on his ship until we're all in the kingdom of God.